Christ. So, uh, everybody, uh, let's begin in First Thessalonians chapter five. Uh, our theme today is that God will not rest until every part of us, meaning every part of our lives, are under His will. And as much as we fight that, and we all do, we're all guilty. Hi, I'm Joe, and I fight God's will. That um, God has got some uh, handy tools in his workshop to help us to convert all of ourselves to his will. And that's how Paul uh, closes the letter to Thessalonians. So we're almost just about done with 1 Thessalonians here. And uh, as Paul wraps this up, he, he kind of summarizes the whole, um, the whole purpose of the letter. Which is great because it helps us to remember what we've learned. So let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for opportunity to be together and hear his word and to always be encouraged and enlightened and uh, strengthened by his word. So with humility and reverence, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for your word, for our salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for the Holy Spirit within. We've been looking at him just as how he uh, encourages and guides and empowers us to do your will. And therefore, Father, by faith and without stress or anxiety, we can reach ahead to do your will and trust the Holy Spirit within to accomplish it. So, Father, as we do that, we, we look to your word, which we know the Spirit also teaches to us. And we thank you, Father, for all that you do through Jesus Christ, our Lord. May we, Father, be enlightened and encouraged. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. So, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, we do have a rarity that I uh, know a little bit about. And uh, it's the verbs that he uses in this sentence versus, uh, well, 23 and 24 are two different sentences, but we'll be looking at 23 today. And in verse 23, there's two verbs that are in the optative. And optative is the rarest of verb tenses in the the, uh, New Testament. And that is a mood of, uh, sorry, it's not a tense, it's a mood. Uh, It's a mood of wishing. So it's a, I wish or I hope that this will be true. And so as uh, we see here, it's used in terms of a prayer. And so he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. So you see that word sanctify, that's an optative. It means that Paul wishes this to be true. Hence, even he doesn't say here, I pray. But by using the optative, we know that he, it is a prayer. He's praying, he's desiring that God, notice the title, God of Peace. We'll deal with that coming up, uh, not today, but later. God of Peace himself, himself is there. It's, uh, it's the use of a pronoun in this sentence that doesn't need to be used. So, um, the, the verb sanctify is third person singular. So, and also the subject is mentioned as God, theos, is used by Paul. So it's all there, but Paul adds a pronoun to emphasize it's God himself. And so by using this pronoun, he's 
saying, well, you know, kind of underlining who's the one who can sanctify. And it's not me. Although this sanctification that Paul is talking about here is not the sanctification that we receive at salvation, he wouldn't be praying for that because all believers have that. He is praying for this practical or what is sometimes called experiential sanctification, which is our lifestyle and, and our, our actions, our thoughts, our words that are all under God's will. So it's really our, our activeness in being conformed to the image of Christ or living conformed to the image of Christ. And only God can do that. Now, as we know, and the, the thought, I hope, you know, it should come into your mind or at least it will eventually come into your mind that, well, if God's the one who does this, then why aren't I this? You know, why aren't I fully in all parts of myself under God's will? Why do I have areas of sin that I struggle with? And, uh, and we'll see that. But we have to understand that it is truly the source of all sanctification is God himself. So now in the second part of this prayer, it's, in, it's uh, the same, but added with a little bit of emphasis or a little more explanation, I should say. So in a way, it's kind of very Jewish. You know how in the in the Psalms or any po- Jewish poetry, there's parallelism, which is a way of, you know, you state a line, you, you write out a line, and then you write out the same thought in the second line as the first line, but you do it with emphasis. You, you explain a bit more. And that's kind of what's done here. So now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and... May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete. Now this be preserved complete is definitely a reference to sanctification. And we'll see that. This word preserved means protected uh, or, or kept or guarded. And complete, yeah, complete. See, preserved complete to me sounds too vague. I think it's a, we're going to have to add some words to translate it properly or interpret it properly. But, you know, complete means what? I, I, when Jesus comes back, I'm not missing any parts. You know, what does complete mean? And complete here means a wholeness uh, under God's will. It means a, a, like, as he says here, spirit and soul, which are within me, and then body. And we'll see there's a reason why he says body. We can't miss that. And so the whole of me is kept as, we could say complete here is mature. It's my maturity in all aspects of my life under God's will. And that's Paul's prayer. Now, and then he finishes it without blame, means blameless. That's also related to sanctification. Uh, Without blame is synonymous with holiness at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is relating there, uh, pointing to the end of the church, that that's when this race is over. So for us, the race isn't over until we die, or if we're part of that rapture generation at the coming of Christ, then it's over. So until then, we've got to be sanctified entirely, and that sanctification is not a guarantee If we're sanctified today, it's not a guarantee that we're sanctified tomorrow. 
Because this is behavior. And so Paul is praying that it's preserved by God. And and that's what preserved means, protected. So I say, well, you know what? I've really reached the heights of spiritual maturity. And I've got, I don't know, 20 years to live. And I need to maintain that. Can I be mature? And then a year from now, be a sinning, bumbling idiot engulfed in world things, worldly things in the flesh. Of course I can. Of course I can. And that's why he prays that it be protected. Now note, who is he praying to is God. So God is the one who has to protect it. So we have to see there, how does God, if God is the one who protects it, then I can't fall backward or what's sometimes called backsliding or reversionism then that can't happen if, if God is the one doing it. Uh, but So we obviously know that there's something that we have to do. And while we do that, uh, God is the one who really accomplishes everything. And there's many analogies in the real world that we can use to understand that. Uh, God is the one really doing the work. But he has given us, in his image, he has given us the ability to choose and to reach for things, and to will for things, and to desire things. And that's all of that is based on faith. You know, faith wills. Faith reaches for. Faith desires. And if our will, or our faith, is in line with His, and then God says, well, then I'm going to really do this for you, or really in you. So Paul's prayer wish is that God would sanctify them completely and would protect their maturity, unblameable or without blame, in all areas. And that's, that's really the key here. That it's, a, it's wonderful that Paul brings it out. I, I, love, I love how he does that here. That can, we, you know, can I be sanctified in some parts of my life and not in other parts? Well, notice this. He says, spirit, soul, body, and entirely. Right? This, this word entirely, that word means whole. It means everything. So why would he pray that we be sanctified everywhere, body, soul, spirit? Well, for obvious fact that you know, I could be set apart to God. What sanctified really means is I set apart my life to his will and I've set that apart in some parts of me, then other parts I haven't. And that means that within myself, I'm at war. You know, technically, I am. Because I'm not really whole. So I've got two lives, and they're at war with one another. And, uh, and you know, as we, we find as we progress in the spiritual life, that we don't want that to exist within us, that we want to be whole. So it must be all of us, not just parts of us, that we find easier. And so body, soul, and spirit here, or I should say, keep his order, spirit, soul, and body, is not Paul's way of saying that, well, you know, here are the three parts of mankind, which a lot of people would like to do with this. But, you know, what's not here is heart. You know, the heart's not here. Um, And so there's really four parts to us. Uh, Within, there's actually five, I should say. There's 
within us, there's four parts according to the scripture. There's mind, uh, soul, spirit, and heart. And they're not all here. So what Paul is not actually trying to discern whether, you know, man is trichotomous and all that stuff. What he's, trying, what he's doing here is emphasizing the wholeness. Like, for instance, the body. If you go back to chapter 4, where he also talks about sanctification. I must go there. I didn't put it in my notes. I'll have to find it. All the T's are together. Always appreciated that about whoever put the Bible in its order. Um, chapter 4. Uh, so, finally then, chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So, same exact word that Paul has used here in chapter 5, verse 23. He prays that God would sanctify them. But notice what he, the, what he specifically is after in chapter 4 is sexual immorality. So, he uses the word porneros, where we get pornography from. Uh, in verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. So what's the vessel? Is the body. And so sanctification, unlike some would like to believe, is only mental, is truly physical. And, uh, you know, you're like me, that the physical, the physicality, the sanctification has always been my hardest hurdle. Not, that's not true of every Christian. But what, so when something's harder for us, so you know, it's easy to be, uh, easier for me anyway, to be scholarly and, and have my thoughts, you know, in certain places, set apart unto God. But yet, the temptation to satisfy certain lusts in my body are very strong. And so, I could say in my own little theological world, which is my mind, that I'm truly mature while I'm really not. You know, there's aspects of my life that, have I really handed it over to God? The body, as well as the mind, as well as the spirit, as well as the soul. And so that's what he's getting at here. When he says, and you can go back to chapter 5, uh, verse 23, when he says your spirit, soul, and body, he means all of us, uh, meaning each of us individually, every part, material and immaterial. So this is not positional sanctification that he's praying about. All believers have that. All believers are, sanctification means set apart unto God or set apart from that which is profane. Uh, and this, the words used in Israel for the, the high priest, so to speak, not so to speak, for instance, uh, high priest, the articles in the temple, it's used for that as well. These are things that are set apart unto God. They're holy. Can anybody walk into the temple and say, 
hey, you know what? Uh, I want some incense. Let me grab me some of that. You know, you don't do that. You're going to die on the spot. Uh, can anybody walk into the Holy of Holies when it was there? You know, there was a king who said, you know what? He was a good king too. And he, he said, you know what? I'm going to go into the Holy. He didn't even go into the Holy of Holies. He went into the Holy Place. And the priest went in there and said, you can't be in here. And he said, but I'm the king. And then leprosy broke out in his head. He became a leper. Uh, Why? Well, he wasn't allowed in there. And that's what holiness means. So when, when it comes to position, all of us, by the blood of Christ, the only reason we're sanctified is because of Christ's sacrifice that he was separated from God so that our separation from God could be um, uh, destroyed, I guess. The wall between us and God and reconciliation is destroyed and we are with God forever. That is positional sanctification. Paul would never pray for that for us because we all have it. Now, when it comes to our life, that's what he's after. Uh, and that's what he's praying for. And it's in, incredibly important Because none of us are going to actually experience this life in Christ Jesus, experience it to the the means and ways that God has planned it for us to do so. And so, uh, first, then, next, I should say, sanctification is a life lived by God's will in every part of us, meaning every part of our body, uh, immaterial self, material self, and uh, all parts of our lives. Now, uh, God is going to challenge you with this. And remember, we're all going to be judged by Christ at the judgment seat of Christ just through an added motivation. You say, well, does it really matter if I'm sanctified in position? You are going to be evaluated by Christ and rewarded accordingly. So, um, I mean, and... The experience of your life now in time is absolutely dependent upon this. Whether it is a life that is exceeding abundant or whether it's a life that is, well, really a prisoner of the things of the world and the flesh. So, for example, you're going along in life and then a situation arises. And it's a typical situation that you've experienced before. Let's say it's a person, and this person did something or said something to you, and your response is the normal response that it's always been. Let's say it's response A. But God has revealed to you that response A, which is your typical one, is not of his will. I find it very interesting that God in his word, when we're coming, the husband's, we're commanded not to be bitter towards our wives. You do not find that command for wives to husbands. So uh, incredibly uh, different there. So let's say it's that, that you have your normal response is bitterness. God reveals to you that this response is not correct. He also reveals to you what the proper response is. The response in love or in sacrifice, uh, or you know, in forgiveness, or whatever it may be. But the proper, sac- the proper response is response B. 
As you initially consider response B, you quickly realize that it demands an entirely different way of thinking. Uh, that I, you say to yourself, well, I should have this response, but to actually have that response, you've got to actually revamp your entire, right to the source of your soul, the core of you, that you've got to, if you're going to do it successfully, you've got to revamp the way that you think. Now, there are other areas of life where you don't have to do that, where the proper response in another situation comes quite easy to you. But then there's the res this response, and this response is difficult. And so it's an area where, in the area that this situation addresses you, you know that you need to change. And so, how do you do it? Now, most people will balk at this, the need to change, and will come up with self, self, some self-justifying excuse and stick with our initial response that it's always been. And we've responded this way perhaps for years, maybe our whole lives. And we know from the scripture that it's absolutely against God's will. So God has put you in a situation where you're either going to respond with B or you're going to stick with good old A that is actually sinful. If you stick with A, you failed the test. And you know what God in his grace is going to do is to bring the test again and again and again. And that's the grace of God. So be preserved complete means that your whole being, that means all of God's, all of your being meets all of God's expectations. So that's what complete means. It's another definition to this is to meet all expectations. It's a neat little word, uh, this word complete. It's the combination of the word whole, and uh, it's a compound word. The first part is the word whole, and the second part is a lot. Not like a lot in quantity, but when like you cast lots. So it's the whole lot. <laughs> and uh, what lot here would say, well, say you, uh, you're going to draw straws. This word would mean all the straws. If you've got a bag full of, you know, there uh, with the, the, the big, the, what did they used to do with that? Was it the bingo thing? Or, you know, where they're spinning the drum and all the tickets are in there and the winner, out of one out of a million is in there. Well, this word would mean the whole ticket, everything in there. And hence, it's a great word because it does mean it has the, uh, the uh, nuance of all the little parts that make up all the little lottery tickets, but you have them all. And so you and your, this means your, you know, your love. And we could even say your love of this person and that person and that person and that person and that person, right? Because they're different. Maybe some of them are your enemies. Maybe one of them is your closest person, but who right now is acting in a way that is very, very hard to love. And, uh, you know, so that's a different situation. That's a different ticket. And then there's the situation of, you know, you're treated badly and you're truly the victim. You are not guilty at all. A situation of personal disaster. Health issue. Um, addiction. You know, whatever. 
a situation of you're being corrected, a situation of alone time, whatever the situation is, of which all of us, our lives are made up of billions of them. Every one of them falls under that word, complete. So this means that God is going to protect us as we uh, mature in all of those areas. Now, how is God going to do that? How is God going to make you whole, meaning sanctified in all parts, and that you're not at war, you don't have this secret part that you know is against God, and then you have this other part that you know is for God, and you have within you this conflict, and you cannot find peace. You have peace sometimes, but you have conflict within you. Parts of you that you hate. You're living two lives, maybe three lives. And God wants to make you whole. That's exactly what he wants to do. And when you get whole, you're going to have, because this word is very closely related to the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom means peace. But shalom doesn't just mean any old peace. Shalom means the peace that comes when the will of God is being obeyed and lived in his world. So when the Jews would say shalom to one another, and they still do, uh, they're, they're not just saying, like, peace be with you. They're, they're, um, they're giving a blessing. The blessing of may your whole life and your whole world be under God's will. So how does God do this? Well, he's going to help us. So uh, the word means complete or sound in every part. It means to meet all expectations. It means, and I'm just I'm reading off a list from one of my lexicons, which is a fancy word for a dictionary, by the way. Uh, it means all expectations, having integrity, being whole, being undamaged, intact. I'm talking about that word complete right there. Intact or blameless. And... In the sentence, whereas you don't see it in the English, Paul puts it right at the beginning of this clause. So the sentence reads, uh, And the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and complete. Whereas in, the, in your English translation, you have, And may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete. See how far along in the sentence we put the, in English the word complete? Paul puts it right after that and. So if you're reading with me in your New American Standard, there's a semicolon after sanctify you entirely. Then there's and, and right after that comes this word complete. And in Greek you can do this because it's inflectional. And actually Paul puts the verb at the very end of the sentence. So that word preserved which in English we have at the front of the sentence, he has it as the actual very last word. And by being the very last word, it's de-emphasized. Not that it's not important, obviously. But you can use word order in Greek to actually emphasize something. So I can tell you, without you don't need to know any Greek, that Paul is emphasizing that word complete. He's emphasizing the fact that all of us, meaning my body, my soul, my spirit, that person, that person, that person, that person, that situation, that situation, that situation. <laughs> All of them are under God's will. He's emphasizing that. 
So Paul prays that the God of peace himself, emphasizing God, underlining God himself, would sanctify you entirely. How does God do this? Well, how are we sanctified? Of course, again, we're talking about behavior. Well, first off, you're born again and saved. When you're born again and saved, you're made brand new. You're indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. You're in union with Christ. You're baptized by the Holy Spirit into union with Christ. You're made righteous, holy, blameless. You have a future and a hope. Sins are forgiven. And you learn this. Hopefully you learn this. And then from that, you learn also some other things. Well, you know, probably in the back of your, well, in the front of your your mind, you were always told what to do. This is what I ought to do. Uh, we were, uh, I was talking with uh, Chris's mom this morning when I was taking her to the airport. Ah, oh, finally got the mother-in-law out of the house. Jeez. And, uh, you know, as we were talking about when kids, because, you know, as, as you know, Chris, my wife Chris has a bunch of little rugrats now running around as she watches other kids. You know, when does this, when is the age in each person does this I ought to do that start to kick in? Because right now these kids are like five or six. They really don't have that at all. So they'll do whatever they can get away with. But as parents, we don't let them get away with it, and so they learn. But there's a point at which the conscience develops and comes more alive in us, and we discover that you know, there are things we ought to do. And, uh, and then that's you know, somewhere around our young teenage years, and that's when all of us go crazy. You know, most, I shouldn't say, I, I guess all of us. It seems that some teenage kids handle it much, much better than others. But I didn't. And most of the people I know just, you know, just went kind of berserk. Uh, and, you know, you're embarrassed. That's why you don't want, you, you know, if your parents drop you off at the mall, you'd be like, you know, Mom, can you drop me off, like, way over there so my friends don't see you? And, you know, you're whatever. All of that happens, and you get bizarre. You become this alien in a human body, and and like so, as this progresses, progresses, we know that there are things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do, and we're hoping that we can get enough of the stuff that we shouldn't do away and get away with it, and just do the bare minimum of what we should do so that we can you know kind of get by, and uh, and then we become born again and saved and we find out that God truly has a plan for us. And when that happens, we're motivated. And every believer is because we're made new. We're made for this. And every believer is motivated to go for it. You know, you want to glorify God? I think every believer in their heart of hearts say, yeah, I do. And uh, But then... And, you know, maybe if you're like me, when I was born again and say, I was so excited, so excited. Uh, You know, you couldn't get me out of church. I was so excited. I was so excited. And as I learned God's word, wow. Over time, I found out that it was hard to do. You know, I never forget the day I decided I was going to fast because I read in the Gospels that all these people fasted or Jesus fasted. And I'm like, I'm going to fast. 
And within like five minutes, I was like the hungriest man alive. I, I, could, I couldn't. It was awful. And, and you know, what I've, <laughs> not just that, but in everything, difficult. So we need help. So what does God do? He does a million things. So he's the one doing it. So if you go to James, go to James chapter 1. God's the one doing it. But again, we have to ask, why doesn't every Christian live entirely sanctified? And the reason being is because we have to choose it. Now, choosing it is not the same as doing it. I may choose a whole bunch of things. Like I may choose to drive here. But basically what I'm doing is getting in a car and turning a key. And really the car and the engine and the wheels and the road and the gasoline are all the things that are getting me here. So in essence, you know, but I got to make the choice to get in the car and come here. I got to make the choice to read the words in the scripture. And yes, it's it's at some level it's a work, sure. But are you really doing the work that transforms that word into truth in your soul? The answer is no. God is doing that. Uh, so we learn. We learn the word of God. We uh, we we learn it, and as we learn it. The Holy Spirit within it, in us makes it understandable. We learn about our Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ becomes beautiful, more so. Uh, we learn about all of this, and we know we're promised. There's the other thing, that in the Word, we learn promises, and the promises tell us that it's a life beyond dreams. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard. And these are all motivating factors that come from God's Word as we understand it. But this is far from being truly motivated because there's a lot of believers. Well, first off, there's a lot of believers who don't care for the word of God. Whether they're believers or not is between them and God. You know, I've got my whole lordship salvation people that I do know who have trended that way who say, well, they're not believers. I don't know if they're believers or not. If they say they're believers, fine. I'm not the one who judges them, nor does anybody else. But... There's a lot of so Christians, at least they call themselves are, who are not into God's word. And so they're not motivated at all because they don't know anything really about the word. Plus, we have to be replenished. Notice Paul here is praying that they be sanctified entirely. And in other passages, we're going to see that we have to be replenished all the time. One thing that Paul is praying for is that God would protect their level of maturity, and that means that we can fall from it. And so it's got to be replenished and protected. So all of us can learn the easy way. We learn God's word. We say, yup, and by faith we say, yup, and then we do it. Who among us have done that? So, you know, At some level, all of us do that, but not all of us have done it. And so what is God going to do for us when he sees that some part of your spirit, soul, or body is not sanctified to him or to his will? So James 1, 2 through 4. 
Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and, see that word complete? That is the exact same word. It's only used twice in the Bible, and here's the second place. that Paul. That, sorry, this is James using it. Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That word complete is the same word that we have. It means all the tickets in the drum. It means all the pebbles in the bag that for casting lots. And it means all of us. All of our person. So what is God going to do? He's going to bring trials. And what are the trials going to do? They're going to test your faith. And when it does... And you pass the test, because we're going we're gonna to be optimistic here. And after we, or you or me, have failed a hundred of these tests or a thousand of these tests, it's finally going to be passed. We're going to pass it. And what is that going to do for us? It's going to produce endurance. And that endurance means that I have more momentum to handle more trials. There's no point in having endurance if I'm not going to still run So I have this endurance, and I'm going to run the race. I'm going to encounter more trials. And what is promised here by James is that I'm going to be made complete, and that means sanctified. And that's what Paul's praying for at the end of Thessalonians. So God, yes, is the one who sanctifies. Through Jesus Christ, we were sanctified forever. God is the one who sanctifies because God is the one bringing the trial. God is the one who is bringing you the word. God is the one who makes the word understandable to you. And God is the one that is producing in you, by the fruit of the Spirit, all the things that you need because all of these virtues come from God. They are his work. So I say, well, okay, you know, all right. You know, I I don't really feel God doing this in me. What does it matter? What matter? Why it matters is going back to my example that I gave. Somebody has done something to me or said something to me and my usual response is A. But I know every time I respond with A, I know it's wrong. I know it's against God's will, but I do it anyway. You know, and when I mean response, I do mean in our in our thinking. So I respond with A. So what I'm going to do now is respond with B. B is God's will. And I'm going to do it. Every fiber in my body doesn't want to. Every fiber in my soul and my spirit doesn't want to do it. But I'm going to do it. I'm going, and that's my decision. When the thoughts prop up that I'm going to be either bitter or jealous or angry or vindictive or anxious or worried, you know what? I'm going to say no. I'm going to push those thoughts out and I'm going to think the truth. And what, what am I doing there? By faith, I'm choosing the right way. And when I choose the right way, I will see it happen. As uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 5, it's the proof of your faith. You prove it. That's actually, First Peter is the proof of your faith. Uh <clears throat> First Peter, but the proof of your faith is more precious than gold, Peter writes. And uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 5 that um, 
we prove everything. You know, we prove the things of God by putting them into practice. And when we put them into practice, we see the result. The, the result we know, and I think every believer has to say this, we'll all know this, that there is no way that I could have done that. When it's truly God's work, no believer alive is going to say, I did that. When it's a person's work, you know, in other words, you either a person's faking it or whatever, then certainly people are going to take credit for it. But when it comes to God's work, there's not one believer when it truly is God's work, is going to take credit for that. So, you know, God, what Paul is praying for is that we will see how God can make a broken human being into a complete, whole, um, you know, a, a, a divinely willful, uh, sanctified person in the same old body and in the same old world. So again, when we're tempted to do something else in God's will or to do nothing, that's the other thing we can do is we say, well, you know, I just kind of bow out. I don't do anything. And I know that, you know, God wants me to do something and I don't. And I say, you know, right, no harm, no foul. No, I, I didn't. I didn't do anything. But that was the point. You were supposed to, and we didn't. And there are plenty of those opportunities that go by as well. Uh, that is slothfulness, and you know when we're called to act, and we don't want to. By faith, we say, you know what? I'm going to do this. And it's sometimes very scary to do this. I know I'm supposed to say something to that person and encouragement. It's totally me, totally stepping out of my comfort zone to do it. But I'm going to do it, so uh, here I go. And I, I don't know exactly what I'm going to say. In fact, I'm pretty scared. But what I'm doing is I'm going by faith and I'm going to encourage them. And here's the thing. If you go into that situation and say, oh, I'm just going to blow it. I'm going to ruin it. I'm going to say something stupid, and you probably will. But if you go into it and say, look, this is God's will that I do this. I know that it's his will that I do this, and he wants me sanctified entirely. There's no like say, I can't encourage people, I'm shy. What? So the commands of encouragement don't apply to you because you have a certain personality? I can't control my flesh because my parents, you know, I come from a long line of addicts. You know, I'm gen genetically predisposed to addiction. And it would seem certainly uh, that this, that is actually true. That certain people are more predisposed to chemical addictions than other people. And we say, well, this isn't fair. Was well, that really true? That it's not fair when God gives every one of us the ability and the power to overcome all things by far? Well, and we know that God is perfectly just. What about kids who grow up in abusive homes? Some of them are horribly abusive. Um, you know, is, do we have an excuse for that? Does that mean, well, you know, I don't have to follow God's will in certain areas, 
because uh, I don't know I have a uh, uptight personality or I'm anxious I get anxious easy or I've developed a propensity to anger and I can't follow that but see when when God says to us it is my will that you're sanctified entirely that means everything and here the good news is that God says I don't quench the spirit the Spirit is in you so that when you step out and say, well, this is an area of my life where I could, I don't think I could do this. And yet you say, you know what? I have God, the Holy Spirit inside of me. I see I'm commanded by God that I have to do it. I'm going to do it. No matter what, I'm going to do it. If I fall flat on my face, if I look like an idiot, if everybody laughs at me, I don't care. I'm going to do it because it's God's will. And that is what releases the power of the Spirit. God has made it so that our will releases His power. And we can think all day about what the mechanics of that is. God doesn't give us the mechanics of such things. He just says, do it. Do it. It's like He says to Peter, do you love me? Yeah. And He asks him two more times, do you love me? And then, and he gives him a command. He said, if you love me, then do this. And to Peter it was, uh, feed his lambs. Teach the church. And by the way, it's not going to be easy for you to do it. It's going to cost you your life. But do it. And so this, you know, passages like that, they give us courage. They give us courage that make us want to do it. To be sanctified in every area of my life. That means inside of this craziness that is me, that there is harmony of will. The harmony of God's will in every part of my life. Not just in my mind, I want to do God's will, like right what the Lord said to the disciples in Gethsemane, uh, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. I bet all three of those guys, Peter, James, and John, they wanted to stay awake and pray with the Lord because he told them to pray with him. And every one of them wanted to. Not a one of them did. <clears throat> and so that was that's kind of like what Paul is getting at here. In my mind, I really want to do it, but in my body, I don't do it. But it's sanctified entirely. So how do I get this body under the control of of the will of God. How do I get this mind under the control of the will of God? There are certain people out there who have an easier time controlling their bodies than they do their minds. I have no experience with that. It's always been the opposite for me. But you know, the mind does lead to the sins of the body. I'm not saying it doesn't. But, um, yeah, all all of us are going to, we're going to have slightly different weaknesses and slightly different strengths and all of us are called to be sanctified completely. And again, that word complete means everything in us. So now, as we uh, finish this up, this word, complete, is related to the Hebrew word shalom. And that comes, the, the root word of our word that means whole or complete 
uh, is related to the root word for shalom uh, if it's translated into Greek and all of that. So, but I can tell you, and, and this makes perfect sense because shalom means peace. And if I'm going to be at perfect peace, then all the parts of me must be unified. So, like, you know, people are not at peace. Let's say you've got a really hard decision to make and you've got option A and option B and you don't know which one to take. You're generally not at peace when you need to do that. Right? Because your mind is divided. Division is not peace. Uh, But God is peace because God is completely unified and unchangeable. It's also true that certain people are at peace for a short period of time because their whole, the wholeness of them are dedicated to a certain cause. So for a while, let's say, you know, someone's cause is, uh, I don't know, environmentalism or something, and, and they're, they're dedicated to it. Their finances are, their mind is, they study on it, their bodies are, they do the work that for environmentalism, whatever it is, they're out there hugging trees or whatever. And, and they're, they're doing this and they're, they've, you know, they've got a purpose. The problem with it is that the purpose is earthly and human and not eternal. And so people will have peace for a little while. But if the, the purpose that unifies them is not God, it will always be temporary. Now, there's peace within us, there's peace with each other, and then there's peace with God. And peace with God is when His will... Now, all of us have peace in position. We must emphasize that, right? So, Christ died for our sins, our sins are forgiven, the barrier between us and God is destroyed... We are righteous and justified before God, and so we have perfect peace with him. We may approach the throne of grace with boldness. Excellent. But what about in our souls, you know, our relationship with God, our fellowship with God, not always at peace. And when it is uh, at peace, it means that God's will is our will. In other words, we've submitted to God's will. When we submit to God's will in all areas of life, then we are whole and our goal or our uh, end, end goal for what we're after and what's unifying us is eternal. It is the eternal God. So it, when you're at peace with God, you're at peace with yourself. If, it, if your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit is dedicated, doesn't mean you're sinless, but it means that you're dedicated to God's will, then your whole, per, your whole person is unified. Every part of you is after the same thing. So that's unification. And what you're unified towards, the goal of that, is eternal. And therefore, the only really meaningful thing. And so not only do you have unity or peace within, but you have purpose. And, you know, in a world where everything's gone wrong, now, there's, there's a theologian whose uh, book I read for school um, a little about, about a year ago. And <clears throat> he, uh, he, he mentions a movie at the front of the book where, uh, you know, it, it, it's a typical thing where a rich businessman is driving his kind of wealthy car somewhere in the city and he takes a wrong turn and another wrong turn and all of a sudden he ends up in the ghetto. 
and all of a sudden all these criminals come out and see this beautiful high-end pricey car and they go up to him and they carjack him and you know they're they're up and so he calls a tow truck guy and the tow truck guy when he finally gets there this is all in a movie who is you know someone from that community you know, older gentleman from that community, he comes with his tow truck. He's not rich. He's, you know, he grew up there. And he says to the man, he says to the young kids who are the criminals, he says, this is not the way things are supposed to be. This man should have his car be able to break down and call a tow truck, and he should be able to get his car towed out of here, and he should be safe. That's what the world should be. But yet, all of you guys are going to come here and rob him and hurt him, maybe kill him. And that's not the way things are supposed to be. This book that he writes, he uses that example, is about sin. It's really about the sin nature. And in that opening chapter, he talks about shalom. Because God's shalom is the way things are supposed to be. When the whole world, right before the fall, the world, Adam and the woman are under God's will. They worship God. They speak with God. They're one with each other. Um, But then after the fall, things were not the way they're supposed to be. When we're made born again and saved, when we become born again and saved, we're made sanctified, set apart unto God. We're made new creatures, and as new creatures... We are, as we've always been meant to be, indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. We are the way we're supposed to be. We have been made, all believers in this age, are the humanity the way it was always supposed to be. And then God tells us, now that I've made you that, live like that. Be that. And when Paul writes Thessalonians, uh, he he encourages them, these new believers, who have figured that out, actually, quite early. They've figured that out, and, and Paul is encouraging them not only to continue in their journey of sanctification, but to do it still more, which tells us that sanctification is a progressive thing that we're always increasing. So as we close here, the application to us is that we should listen as we saw in James, these trials are going to reveal to us what parts of us are weak and what, what parts of us are strong. When we learn of the strong parts, the parts that we really are submitted to God's will, then that's great encouragement. And you should remember to encourage yourself with that. But also, when God reveals the places in our lives that are not under his will, rather than ignore them, we should prayerfully Focus on them, meditate on them, and think about them. Talk to God about them, and then be ready to change. Change is not easy. None of us want to do it. But God the Holy Spirit is in you to make the change. What he's there for, the whole purpose. God himself is in you to make the change. So have the faith to do the right thing, as scary as it may be, and wait for the power to do it. It will come. God the Holy Spirit is in you to accomplish it.
So again, our passage, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the encouragement and all the work that you have done through Jesus Christ to make us sanctified. Thank you that you and you alone, Father, are the one who can do this. But you have encouraged us through trial, through teaching, through many, many ways that you have shown to show each of us, your children, that this life is the only life and that we should reach ahead to what we've been called to and that you will make it work. You will make it happen. Show us, Father, give us the confidence to reach ahead. We ask in Christ's name, amen.